Jacobin Radio. I'm Tanner Howard, an editorial assistant at Jacobin. Whether he's releasing a hundred chapter book or a hundred song mixtape, Victor Vasquez, also known as Cool AD, has kept himself busy since leaving the rap group Das Racist in 2012. For longtime fans of Vasquez, it's not hard to sense a deep commitment to radical thinking lurking beneath plenty of goofy, intelligent charm, a strong anti-capitalist bent prevalent in countless throwaway song lyrics, and articles penned on the overplacing of black neighborhoods. I sat down with the Bay Area bred artist to discuss the Oakland Ghost Ship Fire, which claimed 36 lives in the DIY space, as well as which Marxists would make the best rappers, and his whimsical Marxist fairy tale book, The Selfish Shellfish. So I just want to dive straight in, and I guess one thing that's really interesting about all of your work is just like how many people inspire you. So I just sort of, from things that you've written, a list of people that have influenced your thinking include Karl Marx, Mos Def, uh, Marina Abramovic, Ornette Coleman, Walter Benjamin, uh, Alison John Coltrane, Che Guevara, Maya Angelou, Amiri Baraka, uh, Basquiat, the list goes on and yeah, on. Yeah, so it's a long one, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's plenty more after that, but you know. And so I'm curious, with, I mean, just as many people as are influencing your thinking and, and your work, how do you manage to just sort of reconcile that into into the work that you put out there? And I guess thinking politically, you know, there's so many different strains that you're drawing from, obviously generally left thinkers, but how do you sort of distill that? And I don't think it's, I, I suppose your thought is pretty ecumenical in many ways. Um, yeah, I mean, basically I, uh, I think that pretty much everybody has about that number of influences whether they think about it like that or not or you know anything mm-hmm. you read will stay with you anything you watch or hear anything you experience in your life it's just uh so uh i think i was just putting the influence i mean every most when it, whether it's drawing or writing or making music um i feel like mostly i it's a very automatic process i try not to overthink it i just do it and then um i think through doing the work uh it kind of informs me how to continue to do the work and then Mm -hmm. each little thing informs the next little thing Mm -hmm. and i just kind of let the i let the reference and the influence you sit there for the you know so you kind of it's like uh when you do like algebra problems in high school or whatever and you have to like show your work obviously as an artist this is especially true for you but i think it's true for pretty much everyone in our day and age you know the the lines between public and private are a lot more blurry, and and so your ideas get out there, things get recorded in your name, yeah. whoever you are. And I think politically that can be very difficult in some ways. You know, you you say one dumb thing politically in the past, and it's sort of tied to your name. But I think there's an evolution, and I definitely see an evolution in your work. Yeah, I think it's kind of like uh, before people get to know you, there's always a first project or like you know a first even series of projects, and mm-hmm. you might not necessarily like mess with it doesn't really get to the center of what you're trying to do as an art a lot of artists don't realize what they're doing until deep into the work i think mm-hmm. and so uh i guess uh and i'm like no different from that basically i just kind of uh i was realizing that like none of the stuff i was like involved in none of the projects i was making i liked them all but mm-hmm. it, none, none of it really kind of encapsulated or like reflected what i wanted you know, it didn't necessarily feel like me yet, and I just took a 
maximalist approach to just being like, well, let me just put it all out there. Mm-hmm. And then as I do do that, I feel like uh, do do. Huh? <laughs> I feel like it refines <laughs> into something that, you know, like the process gets better. And then I feel like I'm on like a zero carbon footprint kind of model for the art. Like, you know, waste not, want not kind of. <laughs> Anything I that's in the oeuvre or anything that's just on, you know, my computer or whatever, I just want it. It's, like, already, like, the NSA has access to it, so why not everybody else, right? So Yeah, um, maybe they're listening to it, maybe yeah. they enjoy that. Yeah, know? maybe Yeah, maybe it's going to... Maybe it's touching them. Maybe that's what why Edward Snowden just decided to go rogue, you know? <laughs> we get a couple more Snowdens in there, you know? <laughs> they like hip-hop, that's a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, damn... Well, I think that, again, that sort of, like, messiness that you have as a public artist is, is something that, again, we all go through. And I think politically it's just tough where people are really working through some difficult political positions right now. And I think that's something that, with sort of the call-out culture on social media, and yeah, yeah. You, it's just tough to have evolving political views in many ways. When yeah. these are all very difficult issues to talk about, I think. Mm-hmm. No one has a static politic. Everybody's politic is very fluid and... Um and kind of changes with the time and changes with their interactions with other people and blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like, you know, I feel like a lot of the sort of infighting on both sides comes from like a sort of expectation that, you know, things should be uh, like, you should have a concrete ideology. Like no one's figured out. Even the people at the top haven't figured out. It's quite obviously that they don't know what Mm -hmm. the fuck's going on either. Like Mm -hmm. everyone has this fragmented piece of the picture. No one has the whole macro view. You know, you could kind of stand on a hill and look at things and kind of you know there's there's that like there's occasional moments of objective macro kind of understanding mm-hmm. what's going on but mm-hmm. everyone's still like sadly is stuck in a sort of or you know happily maybe is stuck in a subjective you know hyper individualized mm-hmm. compartmentalized version of mm-hmm. this universal thing that we all take mm-hmm. part in so yeah it's a difficult moment politically, that's for sure. So, on rolling through the town, which was on your mixtape last year, official, yeah, um, the one you do with Trackademics, mm-hmm. uh, there's a line where you rap, I stay woke, but that don't mean I never dream. I stay woke, but that don't mean I never dream. So, obviously that's wordplay, but I think it's also, it just points to something really interesting about radical thinking, where on the one hand, you know you want to be very aware of the very real problems of the world yeah, yeah but at the same time a lot of radical thinking is is trying to dream of yeah, a better better uh, future better reality yeah, yeah yeah basically yeah i mean a lot of revolutionary like tactics and thinking you're trying to figure out okay how do we change these things and and like kind of dismantle and replace these things we don't like but you still have to be imagining what you're replacing them with with the mm-hmm. and um And, you know, I'm like, I've never, you know, my strengths lie, I think, more in a sort of imaginative field. I'm I'm less of an activist and more of an artist at the end of the day. And, Mm -hmm. like, you know, I I pay attention to politics and I I like to think I'm politically involved Mm -hmm. to some degree. But I also feel like my strengths lie in just trying to, like, the simple task of trying to figure out how to bring joy and beauty out of a world that's so, like terrible you mm-hmm. know like and for a long time I, I think I kind of had I felt like weirdly guilty like it wasn't uh, a useful enough type of labor or something but maybe it was just because I wasn't working as hard as I should have been and now mm-hmm. I feel like I'm getting into a, a rhythm where I can actually kind of flex as hard as I, I mm-hmm. would have liked to 
you know, I, before I made money, before I made a living as an artist, I still had the guilt of like, why would I try to be an artist, you know? Hmm. And uh, I guess uh, at this point, I'm kind of like not tripping off that so much. I hmm. feel like I, mm-hmm. I know I am an artist now, I mm-hmm. think. But yeah. well, and the two things that I really noticed about reading your book, um, I guess the two sort of like genres I would label the book through would be maybe sort of like Afrofuturism and magical realism. Yeah. Um, both genres that I think are very useful insofar as they kind of offer a different way of seeing a future or maybe playing with the reality that we do have and doing weird things with it and imagining it being mm. kind of more or less the same but maybe better or more creative or something like that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's funny about magical realism. I've never had a problem with that uh, terminology, but I do know that it's sort of like in certain circles seen as like a counter-revolutionary genre. Really? Oh. Yeah, like okay. I feel like maybe it's a Bay Area thing. There's like huh. definitely a lot of fools that like, you know, think that like even Marquez, who I think is a brilliant and very revolutionary style, right? I mean, like, Absolutely, yeah. you know, like, a lot of people think that he's too bougie you know and he kind of you know he talks about class and he talks about rich people and i'm sure he was rich and you know i'm sure he was in rich circles and so yeah yeah. but it's like uh yeah but yeah at the same time i know there's an interview where marquez is asked what kind of government would you want to see in the world and he said one that the poor the one that serves the poor more or less yeah exactly you know his boys would like fidel who's also very uh you know not you know not what he didn't live up to his ideals yeah or the ideals of the revolution that he you know but uh yeah no nah, i mean you know it's uh i guess it's like a bunch of imperfect people aiming for these kind of like it's so weird that human beings and their brains they always want to imagine something perfect which is like very like not their reality i guess huh. but i guess yeah. that's maybe what even built like this rectangular table we're eating on you know it's like what you don't see rectangles or squares in nature yet we fucking made so many of them just because we were so juiced off symmetry you know like straight lines and stuff and i guess that's that's cool in and of itself i guess it's like uh, that's that's you know i guess i can't get mad at a table i use one all the time so that's fair yeah no, and again, so this sort of weird, sort of like dreamlike element to your work is actually. It reminded me of something. I was reading some young Marx this weekend uh, in this <laughs> essay that he wrote uh, for a ruthless criticism of everything existing. He says the reform of consciousness consists only in enabling the world to clarify its consciousness, in waking it from its dream about itself, in explaining to it the meaning of its own actions. Our motto must therefore be reform of consciousness, not through dogmas, but through analyzing the mystical consciousness the consciousness which is unclear to itself, whether it appears in religious or political form, then it will transpire that the world has long been dreaming of something that it can acquire only as it becomes conscious of it. No, that's a, that's a super fire quote, man. It's hella bars in there. Man. Uh, <laughs> like, I'll fully, like, steal that later, actually. I'm going to take that piece of paper. Uh, yeah. I was uh, going to ask you, uh, which, uh, which Marxist socialist thinker do you think would be the best rapper? Maybe Marx. Marx probably would be the OG. He'd be like the Rakim of the whole. Yeah. You know, and then I'd say, uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think who, like, the Nas of them is. I feel like uh, ben- Benjamin would be a good, or Benjamin, I don't know how you, he'd be a great rapper, but I don't know, like, what rapper parallel he mm. would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, um, I feel like, um, before Kanye came out as a Trumpster, I always thought of him as sort of a Foucaultian kind of guy. <laughs> but, 
uh, I'm trying to think. There's a uh, let's see, and Foucault isn't quite Marxist anyway. I mean, yeah. he just kind of read some Marx and yeah. like let it kind of seep into the vibe. Yeah, I was rereading the Communist Manifesto also, and there's uh, just this one line: "Do you charge us with wanting to stop the exploitation of children by their parents?" To this, we plead guilty, which is really like a great like diss track. Uh, line, yeah, you know? no, that's that's almost more like a punk rock record. Or something, oh, there you, you go. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it kind of works either way. <laughs> but it's definitely like uh, you know, yeah, it's more of like a sort of like the kids, you know, I, I don't know, it's like a clash number or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, just generally speaking, I'm I'm really curious to hear your experiences being an artist in a capitalist society. I mean, more or less, you've been making art as your full time gig for. How long now? I don't even know. Since probably 2008-ish, maybe 2007 even. That's impressive. Yeah. I mean, little odd jobs here and there, but usually uh, Mm -hmm. music-related or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know. Yeah, I guess it's like that many years doing it. That's probably why I like, it's like less of a existential quandary. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if it came to it and it's just like, the world's perfect now. All you have to do is like farm three days a week or something. <laughs> I'd probably like just learn how to farm. I mean, hopefully, if it's if it's hella backbreaking, I'd be like, wait a minute, did this revolution really work? <laughs> but I mean, what with automation these days, I feel like you know we probably uh, who knows, man. It seemed like uh, you know there's plenty. I've read a couple articles on how automation and uh, a universal basic income mm-hmm. seem like uh, you know. Two yeah. things that sort of might pop up in the future, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, to think of sort of what you have to work through in sort of you know just doing what you're doing. You said earlier when it's going well, doing like making art as a gig is something that doesn't feel like yeah. a job in any way. Yeah. But I, I guess sort of what are the challenges that you face? And I guess one thing, for example, like I know you recently, you and your wife moved down to Mexico. Oh uh, yeah. Obviously, a lot of that, you know, you're saving some money doing that. Oh, right? uh, yeah, for sure. It's definitely, that's definitely, I mean, that was one way, because she, she kind of had quit her job, and she was getting unemployment, and that ran out, and then she didn't want to get another job, and I was like, I was making enough to, like, carry it, but, like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like wild out every night, kind of. Yeah. You know, just like living in New York, like yeah. it's always going to be stressful. Yeah, for pretty much unless yeah. you're a hedge fund, whatever. Yeah. We had already moved to the Bay, which is basically not much different in mm-hmm. terms of like, and then you know fucking we're looking at some stuff and mexico really i mean it also made sense just on some like i don't know it seemed like the kid was like in more of a like mellow kind of atmosphere you know like it just seemed like more nature and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and like Mm -hmm. we were right by you know like right there on the beach and like Mm -hmm. Fucking. Good for a lot of reasons. Yeah, good for a lot of reasons. Yeah. So it's like, uh, but then again, you know, the, the difference between Mexican and American currency is like, you know, we're just benefiting off of another fucked up thing. So hmm. that's like any, any like little hustle that you could be proud of <laughs> is actually probably rooted in why everything sucks. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's sort of weird to like constantly be like, and then you're always expected to sort of, you know proclamate on your hustles and your, <laughs> you know, like flex your little like oh I got this it's like very much in our culture to do that but uh so how old is your daughter she's like two and a half or not quite two and a half yeah 
Yeah. And you wrote us you wrote an article or a series of articles, I guess, for Vice for a little bit about uh, yeah. being a parent. Yeah, it's kinda like didn't really like the gig after yeah. like the first two like the first <laughs> one was fun and then yeah. I was like, I gotta do this like yeah. every fucking I think the second one was when you said I'm mostly doing this for the Yeah, paper. exactly, yeah. 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 And then So again, just making it work. Yeah, exactly. And then we moved to Mexico. I was like, Oh, I don't even need to I don't even need that extra little like money cushion. You know, you're from Oakland originally and mm-hmm. We, I mean, I'm sure you knew plenty of people that were involved in the ghost ship. Um, uh, yeah, I actually only really knew it was like my old roommate's other roommate mm. um, passed in that fire, but I don't really okay. know too many other, like just kind of like acquaintances mm-hmm. or friends of mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Fucking ten of my friends ended up homeless because of it because wow. they were shutting down, like you know, burnt ramen and a couple other spots, rhinoceropolis out in uh, Denver. I know uh, a few other spots. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they just been closing up a bunch. You know, they turned it into sort of a little witch hunt kind of thing, mm-hmm. kind of McCarthyist feel to it. Mm-hmm. You know, fucking a lot of them 4chan alt right trolls were like, yeah, they're getting you know into just the, getting into it. it was like a fun yeah. little project for them. So yeah, talking earlier, Oakland being kind of ground zero in many ways for gentrification that's happening right now in the U.S. I feel like artists in many cases are stuck in this really shitty middle ground where, you know, developers see artists moving into a space and and um, that creates perhaps the conditions for gentrification to play out in the future. And a lot of artists, I think, are very aware of these things. I mean, that was a that was a pretty big fire and a pretty like, you know, like probably I think one of the deadliest fires in, in the history of the United States or something. Mm-hmm. One of them. I'm not sure where on the list, number one, mm-hmm. statistics, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But, like, you know, half the time, you know, a, a big fire might, you know, happen in, say, you know, just like a, a building with mm-hmm. just people, families, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it gets on the news, but it's not like the big continual, like, you know, hullabaloo. And I guess it's just kind of like... I guess it's because a lot of these artists might might come from, like, a family that, you know, or something like that, where it becomes, like, bigger news for whatever reason. So there's kind of, like, all the problems that, that an artist in a community such as West Oakland or East Oakland was where that fire occurred. But, you mm-hmm. know, there's both of those sides of Oakland are pretty much, like, you know, like, a, you know, gr- uh, ground zero gentrification, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, those problems occur to the people that have been living there and families and whatnot mm-hmm. and with it's kind of weird there's i guess they're like a canary in a coal mine for mm-hmm. both sides to me like discussions on class are always very like weirdly like finger pointing where it's mm-hmm. like you you made like like you know you have like this much more money than me so you're like not mm-hmm. you know like able to or like you have you know and it's like obviously that's true everyone needs to recognize their privilege at the same time like if someone's like trying to drop out of this society and start their own one i guess a lot of people try to do that and they do it uh irresponsibly and they you know and that's like and it gets a bad name but it's like i feel like still you could direct your your anger more at a banker mm-hmm. <laughs> um there's like you know there's bigger enemies bigger battles uh to be fought you know obviously it takes generations of methodical you know, like, how do we, you know, it's, there's yeah. no easy way to do it, so. Um, and lots of listening and lots of yeah, like listening, back and communication forth. Yeah. back and forth, talking, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, to think about how many different buildings around the country and around the world are, you know, just empty because people 
yeah. see a home as an investment first and foremost. A yeah. rich person can buy property and let it sit there. And yeah. It's, yeah. You know, again, how do we look at that and see any justice there when there's people of all stripes, artists, you know, current residents in different neighborhoods that just need a place to live, that need, a lo- like, a cheap place to live because they don't have much money. Yeah. And I think it's like, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's something that was, like, five empty houses per homeless person in the United States. Yeah. Something, some crazy number like that. Yeah. And then just kind of, like, even if you were to try and, like, figure out, like, you, you know... I guess yeah okay how you fix that you get you fundraise to buy a bunch of houses and then you have to f- like pay a bunch of people mm-hmm. to like basically make it their jobs to like situate these fools in these houses but then also have programs where it's like mm-hmm. you know like you know maybe they're rent free houses so they don't have to necessarily get a job but like how do these fools get fed and then like eventually you know I mean, the idea is, like, eventually they become contributing members of society, but, like, mm-hmm. why even put that pressure on someone who's been homeless for maybe exactly, maybe yeah. their entire lives? Maybe, yeah. like, you know, like, I think that a lot of, just, like, a lot of people just need to be able to kick it indoors maybe for years before they can get it together enough yeah. to, like, be a contributing member of society, yeah. you know, like... It's tough, and again, yeah. the minute that someone tries to squat in a rich person's yeah. sixth mansion, yeah, yeah. they got the police at the door kicking them out. Yeah, well, that's why fools be squatting in, like, abandoned warehouses and yeah. shit, but then, you know, and then there's the safety yeah. hazards of that, man. Yeah. That's, that's how you get to, you know, that's, that's why shit's fucked, basically. Yeah. Uh, so another political issue that I think you are especially involved in and think a lot about is the issue of, of police violence, police brutality, uh, just over-policing in general. Um, you talk a lot about it in your book. Uh, there's a couple scenes where, you, you know, you get pulled over by the police and then your wife shoots the cop and yeah. you know, saves your life. You know, on your song, uh, the title track of your EP, Real Talk, you say, you know, kill George Zimmerman, yeah, yeah, yeah. kill Dan Holzclaw, kill Darren Wilson. Um, also in your novel, there's a, there's a part where you're talking about some protests over another shooting um, and then you say, uh, the protests continued over the next couple days and throughout the course of the year and onward. The cops, continuing their tradition, went on to murder upwards of a thousand unarmed black men, women, and children without repercussion, and consistently, like clockwork, employed illegal and excessive force on outraged protesters. Yeah. So I think, you know, just another thing that you had written that I found from a couple years ago that I think is very important and sometimes very difficult to talk about as far as policing issues. You know, you, you also wrote, police are people too. They can be deprogrammed and their fear can be unlearned. When you're looking at rows of cops in riot gear, know that behind those plexiglass helmets is a human brain as fragile and irrational and afraid as any other. Yeah. Um, well, I basically was kind of saying that to be like, don't be afraid of cops. Uh, but mm-hmm. And I guess, yeah, it's like, even writing that line, police are people too, it's just like, it was just too, like, I, I kind of cringe when I wrote it, but mm. it's literally true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, but then you think about police as a fucking institution yeah. and, like, the origins of police and, like, slave catching yeah. and, like, the fact that so many police departments are literally just run by, like, clansters. Yeah. Like. And they have military Yeah, and that they have military yeah, gear. Tanks. It's just like, yeah, sure. I I guess I had to mention it in the context of that article, just you know, to to prove a point. But in general, I feel like the the public attitude towards cops, like, could be <laughs> a lot more critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um and that's what I think I do very cartoonishly in the book. I think the book is cartoonish in nature, mm-hmm. and even in the songs, you can be a little more, you know, like uh 
I don't know if I would like write an op-ed where I'm like actively calling for people to kill like George Zimmerman and shit. But yeah. in the context of the music, I yeah. think that it explains emotionally where I'm at, like mm-hmm. what, how I feel about the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that's the same with like, you know, it's sort of like a, a therapy or a cathartic cathartic kind of thing to write to write into this thing like a re, you know revenge kind of mm-hmm. you know and it's something that i think that tickles a reader too because they mm-hmm. they you know so many people just you you just are bombarded with not just news of it but video footage of just mm-hmm. people needlessly being murdered and mm-hmm. you know that this fool is going to get away with it he gets paid vacation mm-hmm. and you just see these unarmed people like over and over these images mm-hmm. and it's like it just crushes you mm-hmm. and so i think I don't want to say violence is a is a tactic that I don't condone because it's like you're essentially when someone's like if someone's pu- going to punch me I'm going to punch them back mm-hmm. if someone's going to shoot at me I'm going to shoot back at them mm-hmm. so it's like if it comes down to that then that's what it is but end of the day obviously ideally mm-hmm. I would not want there to be any violence so mm-hmm. it's that right there it's it's a crazy contradiction mm-hmm. and it's but it's you know, we live in a contradictory world. Mm-hmm. Do you find it hard to, uh, you know, not fall into nihilism about police brutality? It's one of those things that, you know, other things seem to make more progress, but police violence just doesn't. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think that uh, nihilism is probably the only appropriate response, and that you know, it doesn't need to be like a, a negative type of nihilism. You just have to like, you know, it's like sometimes it's a coping mechanism to, you know, the. You just need it to get by, basically. You mm-hmm. need to remember, in the grand scheme of things, nothing necessarily matters. If you, like, look at us as, like, dots on a globe in a giant universe, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, uh, so, like, it's useful. I, I feel like, and I've said this before, too, that, like, nihilism gets a bad rap and people, like, kind of, like, like to kind of doom and gloom it. But it's actually sort of, it can, it's just a useful mm-hmm it's a useful tool mm-hmm. for for perspective mm-hmm. you know so and same with the sort of evolving political beliefs you know again like yeah. things are going to emerge trump getting elected is going to happen and for a day you're going to just be like wow there's nothing to do you know yeah. just yeah exactly there's, stuff like that. sometimes you find yourself like painted into a corner and the only way that you can kind of function or go on is like finding a new kind of like hamster wheel to put your brain on for a yeah. second you know it's like it's just a series of hamster wheels like which <laughs> you know like you know like you can also just be like in the back of your head like progress never existed it doesn't exist and it will never exist mm-hmm. and what we're living in is the same chaos that we were that human beings emerged from that human consciousness the animals that life itself emerged from mm-hmm. this chaos where like there's you know blah 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 you can keep but then it's also nice the myth of progress or maybe it's a real thing there's no way to prove either or yeah i mean it's also as programmed into us as that nihilistic bend too Mm -hmm. and i think it's like why we have these rectangular tables too so it's like i don't know you kind of got to use both you know it's like you know yeah it's a matter of emerging with the day and sort of seeing what's up and yeah yeah just agree yeah because you know on your day-to-day it's not like it's not like every single day a cop is going to try and kill you with a gun but every single day i guess there's always the threat of that especially if you're black mm-hmm. and you know i don't know 
You know, I think another thing that I really liked about your book uh, was just the way that you kind of talk about money. I guess it also comes sort of comes with the field that you're in, not having a you know steady job or whatever. But I think it just basically like in the book, money sort of seems to flow in and out of your universe, just like you go into other universes and someone gives you money and then you use it to like, I don't know. So basically, just like this this very utopian world where money doesn't really matter quite as much. Yeah, and I well, think yeah, it's kind of based off. I feel like. Uh, uh, I feel like I gravitated towards, you know, the type of labor where you could make your own hours. I did. I, mm-hmm. One thing about having a job I never dug was like having to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, every mm-hmm. other aspect. I'm, I'm fine with working, mm-hmm. but sometimes you're just sitting in a spot and you're like, I don't need to be here. Yeah. You know, like so. Therefore, like the the money situation is, you know, I it's like rap, it's rap. It's like rap music. You kind of like, you might say you have a Bentley, and not mention that it's rented or something. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a cer- certain similar kind of uh, yeah. uh, kind of like graying of the edges or yeah. blurring of the edges yeah. um, that uh, that occurs in that book too yeah. and that and it's yeah because it's, I have such like ambivalent feelings about money it's like obviously I dig when I do come into some money like because you know especially with music you could be you could see like nothing or you might be touring and you're making decent money but like. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, you know, something gets up in like a, a video game or a commercial mm-hmm. and you get that nice check, even though that check always comes like three months after you really wanted it, <laughs> you know, but, you, you know, and then you come into in, and it does feel weirdly magical, you know, like, and I guess money does occasionally feel magical. Mm-hmm. Like I swore off uh, Twitter arguments, but then when Trump won. I just, you know, I think I needed to let off some steam, so I just started roasting fools. Because I said some shit, and then people started responding, mm-hmm. and usually I just, like, block them and don't respond. Mm-hmm. And, because I don't want to, like, even, like, give their at some shine, mm-hmm. you know? But, uh, I started, like, you know, really shitting on fools and getting into it, having a lot of fun, like, really fucking roasting the shit out of some fools. And, um, and, uh, then I kind of got into, like, a, you know, like, an actual, like, debate like a real like kind of you know gentleman's debate with one dude who's like a banker type dude hmm. and i was like asking him like you know like what did you want to be when you grew up you wanted to be a, you always wanted to be a banker he's like i don't know and i finally got him to like what do you like to do like what's the thing that like you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and he's like i actually do like to play uh, i'd say if, if it was something other than banking it would be poker but then to him he's like well the fun of poker is the the wager the fact that i might could go broke and then that 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 I'd have to then figure out how like he likes the fun of having to survive, and then he likes that magnified to the point of getting rich versus being poor. You know, like he likes the actual like adrenaline rush of that. But it's like, you know, like maybe maybe just like get that fool to jump out of plane, you know, parachute. <laughs> you know, like there's some way to like turn that energy into something else that like yeah. doesn't like leave hundreds of thousands of people homeless or blah blah blah. But it's really it, it kind of really illuminated to me like the mindset of the type of person and i kind of could see it too because getting money is addictive like you know mm-hmm. like it's fun i understand that mm-hmm. but then you just i think people get fucking carried away like, yeah i don't know man yeah <laughs> yeah so i guess um maybe one way to make a better world is to teach the kids better and you've been working on that too so you and your wife uh, you wrote a kid's book last year called The Selfish Shellfish. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, the Amazon description of it is great. I love it. Uh, a greedy crustaceous shell magnate is felled by a worker uprising led by a plucky crab and his sea snail buddy. <laughs> <laughs> a whimsical Marxist fairy tale told in verse, illustrated in vivid gauche, 
and ironically on sale for profit. Yeah, uh, great. Much subs it up, man. Yeah, but, I mean, there's some bars in there. I definitely, I wrote that one in like ten minutes, but it was very inspired. <laughs> it was like uh, I, I, I like sat back. I was like, oh, that's a good one, <laughs> and then like. Uh, Saba really dug it and she's mm-hmm. like oh, okay I can kill this but then she's like she did the first illustration she's like oh man it's gonna take some time so then she like she kind of like let it sit for like I don't know months almost a year probably mm-hmm. and then she just kind of hammered it out in like mm-hmm. a week or so mm-hmm. um, so it kind of on both sides it was very quick but uh, I'm like I still really dig that one I think yeah. that's a good one for the kids you know yeah. and uh yeah, I don't know. Now, kids' books are messed up is the thing, too. Like, a lot of people go back and realize a lot of stuff super yeah. racist. Yeah, not Again, definitely. it's like you, you, you don't realize you're, like, learning capitalism when you're a kid. Oh, for sure, yeah. No, it's it's very necessary to throw some of those little things in there. Also. I mean, what's what's interesting about Seuss, which I know that uh, Dr. Seuss, uh, he, he's done some, like, kind of, like, Asian caricatures that were super racist and... Hmm. Anyway, so, you know, I have conflicting feelings about Dr. Seuss, but I did come up on Dr. Seuss. And rereading some Dr. Seuss, he got some, his fucking Butter Battle book, like, was, is a pitch-perfect Cold War Hmm. tale. Like, it really, and there's no, it leaves it, there's like, there's no resolution because he wrote it in the middle of the Cold War where there there was no Mm -hmm. resolution. Mm -hmm. You know, so it was like, it's just journalism, you know, for kids. Mm -hmm. And it, I think that, uh, you know, sometimes an asshole can get it right, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully that's what I did with that kid's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so how do you, I mean, you know, you, you have a kid yourself, too. I mean, how are you trying to play it out? Uh, man, the thing was, when we first had the kid, we are like, okay, no no cartoons that are, like, questionable. No, like, fucking blah, this or that. Mm-hmm. Just, like, we don't want no trash. We just want to, like, only give her the best stuff, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, kind of, like, the best food, the best blah, blah, blah. But then mm-hmm. you just kind of, like... You know, like she gets a taste of a cookie, you gotta give her, you gotta give her cookies like, <laughs> every now and again. Like we try and limit it, but like yeah. you know, or she just like she knows what she likes on the, you know, if we she does. There's a couple of things like TV wise that like we can agree on. Like I fuck with Adventure Time, mm-hmm. and she fucks with Adventure Time heavy. Me and Sava we're talking a lot about like um like just making more shit specifically for her. Mm-hmm. I guess instead of, like, writing a kid's book, I could just draw pictures with her and, like, we could tell stories together, which is what we do anyway. So it's, like, more, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to, like, put it into book form. Mm-hmm. But it was nice to have at least one object. We probably would do a couple more kids' things. Mm-hmm. Maybe a cartoon, too. We were talking about mm-hmm. a cartoon for a mm-hmm. while. Um, but, you know, maybe as she gets older, we'll see what, mm-hmm. like, what it is. She Like, I feel like she'll become more of an artistic collaborator with us, hopefully. Or if she cool. doesn't want yeah. to, it's fine. But, yeah. Um, and then I think uh, then I'll know better how to, you know, I kind of you, you always end up making art for the people around you anyway. So I'll know better how to make art for her as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so. mm-hmm. I am also curious. I mean, yeah, talking about like raising kids or growing up like people that influence you. I've heard you talk elsewhere about your grandma. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm curious. You, you said elsewhere. She's a atheist Marxist, heavily involved. Wrote a book about the Godfather. Basically, like wrote the oh, Godfather yeah. books. Oh well, yeah, no, she no, she, no, no, she wrote she wrote the nonfiction there book about yeah. like the Corleones yeah. and the, uh, all the Sicilian families yeah. uh, involved in. Um, actually, her book kind of enters the story around, I guess, late mid mid to late seventies when um, some of the younger heads started moving dope from Venezuela and via Turkey mm-hmm. to the States. And um, the older heads, they, they weren't fucking with uh, 
they, they, like drugs was a taboo for the mafia till the late seventies. Basically, mm-hmm. when when the younger fools started doing it, kind of behind the backs of the older fools, and then the older fools kind of were like, "Well, y'all making money, so we'll get involved too." Mm-hmm. And then you know, until the nineties, they were like one of the biggest. I think definitely the biggest. It was just crazy. Yeah. Like you know, it, the, the yeah. book is insane. Mm-hmm. She wrote that book. She wrote a book. Uh, on um, various left-wing, uh, armed left-wing revolts in, mm-hmm. in Europe, mostly, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. Carlos the Jackal, and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the whole region, mm-hmm. really, but, uh, or, you know, mm-hmm. neighboring regions. Yeah. She's just, she was a hard-hitting, non-fiction reporter type, mm-hmm. very, like, she started out in the Communist Party and then left the Communist Party. Cause, in which country? Uh, well, she, she was born uh, in... I want to say, uh, I think it was part of the Ukraine at some point. Oh, wow. Uh, and then might have, but then raised in uh, New York, in um, okay. in Queens. Mm-hmm. And uh, and kind of did uh, most of her reporting when she met, uh, when she met my mom's dad, who was born in Nebraska, uh, he came to New York to like try and be a writer. They like, whatever, they hooked up and blah, blah, blah. And then they got married in Rome because she was out there on a story. Then she got it offered a permanent job there. So they mm-hmm. basically, my mom grew up in Rome uh, with her brother, mm-hmm. and um, and Brebra got a job. My grandpa got a job, uh, you know, fucking at another English language newspaper out there. Mm-hmm. Then he ended up getting a job for a British paper in Ghana. Wow! So they were like, um, uh, so he was covering actually the Congolese Civil War so oh, wow. he'd go out cover that come back mm-hmm. and they'd post up in Ghana so mm-hmm. like my mom was kind of raised all up around that yeah. and so she kind of by the time she was like kind of like a kid her mom was kind of not a card carrying communist anymore but still mm-hmm. you know obviously you don't you know yeah. the, the ideology you know she's she's definitely kind of like a, it's hard to pin down her politics it's mm-hmm. a, they're very She's just a reporter, first mm-hmm. and foremost. I mm-hmm. think she's like a journalist and she's a, a thinker. You know, mm-hmm. she's uh, mm-hmm. she's a good writer, really mm-hmm. good writer. Like, uh, actually, as I get older, one of my favorite writers. Uh, wow, what's her and, name? Uh, Claire Sternley. So yeah, how, I guess how did some of that influence, and then like maybe the influence of your parents? How did that sort of wear off on you, rub off on you, and as far as your politics or your um, development well, of your thinking? Well, my mom and my dad in uh, the shipyards because she was basically she was doing. Um, photojournalism masters at UC Berkeley and then Mm -hmm. uh, my dad was working at Bethlehem Steel in San Francisco and Mm. my mom got a job there and then they you know that's how they met and Mm -hmm. um, and he was like kind of hippie-ish you know he was born in Cuba and uh, came to the States when he was younger Mm -hmm. and um, you know right during the revolution obviously has Mm -hmm. has, uh, crazy stories about that obviously Uh, you know his his dad was a the first uh, black, um, what do you call it, um, ed- board of education dude, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. head of the board of education in Matanzas or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so being that, you know, he was one of the fools that got rounded up and they put him in a big baseball stadium and they shot a bunch of fools in front of them and no one really knew what was quite what was going on because mm-hmm. it's like, obviously, you know, I'm sure a lot of those fools were probably in Batista's secret police and probably did some horrible shit so mm-hmm. and it's like it's not like my dad's dad was involved in it. he was he just you know he was kind of new to the game anyway like mm-hmm. he was just like I don't really know <laughs> what the fuck's going on so I'm gonna get out of here you know yeah. so yeah. I, and you know a lot of but he had a lot of our family stayed and a lot and then you know probably half and half really mm-hmm. probably a little more stayed than came here mm-hmm. but uh 
and there was already a couple fools that were here you know mm -hmm. so uh so basically you know there the uh there's fully a lot of anti-castro sentiment in my in that side of the family also this is the type of shit where my dad's like don't even fucking talk about this like don't talk about this in an interview probably give me a lecture for even mentioning this in an interview <laughs> so uh i don't want to really go into it sure but all that to say we're in the united states right you know members of my family have literally been enslaved by the united states government so it's yeah. like it's not any better here you know mm -hmm. it's that's pretty much going to be the same kind of fucking static everywhere on earth mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. people some a lot of people go through their whole lives and they don't really have a political conversation like that like some wildly political shit happened to my dad's family and he doesn't like to talk about politics you mm -hmm. know um but that being said, well, he does. I mean, he'll, he'll say fuck Trump, you know, like, obviously everybody will because <laughs> fuck that guy. But like, you know, like, but there's definitely a certain there's a level. Everybody kind of stops, you know, have, everyone has a different comfort level. And when they talk about politics, especially because you you'll say something that you feel is like, you know, it comes from your personal experience and blah, blah, blah. And then someone will shout you down for saying it. And it's just like sometimes, you know. It's just another thing that you gotta you gotta listen and like and I feel like a lot of people, especially like um, people of color or even people that grew up, uh, you know, with some sort of strife or poverty or whatever, whatever, mm -hmm. uh, might carry some politics that seem like counter revolutionary to someone, like at first glance, just because they're about survival or blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like oh that seems a little too capitalist. So that's why I feel like I have a very I know I have like a everyone has an uneven politic. I think I have uh, a lot of things going on in my family history and my that you know just uh, basically my whole my whole thing is just generally like listen and then speak your own truth and then you know hopefully you find some leeway with whatever person you're talking to in whatever room you end up walking into and um, you know try and keep in mind the larger picture and try to be good whatever that means to you you know yeah. Well, hey, I think that's pretty much everything I have, and I okay, think that's yeah. a great place to end this conversation. Yeah, what's up, bro? So, yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much for being on yeah, the air. Yeah, what's up, man? Appreciate yeah. it. Um, so please do subscribe to Jackman Radio anywhere you find your podcasts, and uh, thanks for hey. listening. What's up, what's up, what's up? Just sent this email to myself. Cool lady, cool lady. I'm going to read it off of my phone now. Cool lady, this rapper. Once again. Once again. <laughs> South Oakland veteran, open letter sending, hoping you get it totally straight. And yeah, I said it a second time. Jazz, second line, second world problem child, no style.